Hello and welcome to Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where the editors of Health Affairs talk about the most pressing health policy news of the week. I'm Marianne Amos. Now, before we get to this week's discussion, a quick note that Health Affairs currently has two open requests for abstracts. The first is for our April 2024 theme issue on perinatal mental health, and abstracts are due on August 21st, so that is coming up quickly. The second is for our June 2024 theme issue on reimagining public health, and those abstracts are due on September 11th. I want to note here that we encourage submissions from diverse author groups, early career faculty, and non-academic community members. And now to this week's discussion. We are talking today about laboratory-developed tests, also called LDTs. Now, most tests are developed by one lab and then marketed to other labs, but LDTs are developed and used by a single laboratory. And many LDTs these days are genetic tests used to do things like detect mutations associated with cancer. LDTs have come under scrutiny in recent years as they've become more numerous, more complex, and more available directly to consumers. Think prenatal genetic tests or genealogical DNA tests as examples. And this has really put a spotlight on questions about regulation and patient safety, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Um, to talk about that landscape, we have with us today a special guest, Catherine Sharkey, the Siegel Family Professor of Regulatory Law and Policy at the NYU School of Law. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Catherine, you wrote in 2019 for the DePaul Law Review about the FDA's role in regulating direct-to-consumer genetic testing. And in that article, you said, a brave new world of genetic testing and personalized medicine is upon us. So clearly, this is an exciting time when it comes to uh, direct-to-consumer or DTC genetic testing, but it's not without risks, right? So can you talk a little bit about the benefits and challenges of LDTs? The first thing is we have in the United States a system where medical devices and drugs are highly regulated products, unlike almost all other consumer products. So the Food and Drug Administration imposes ex-ante or pre-market controls on these kinds of medical devices. The thing about diagnostics, um, and we'll come to LDTs uh, in just a second, is when the FDA first started regulating medical devices, which was 1976, they were given authority. They included uh, what they called IVDs, in vitro diagnostics, as medical devices and had authority to regulate them. At that time, so we're going back now decades, there were laboratory-developed tests, which, as you mentioned, unlike the general diagnostic tests, were in-house tests, developed, used, tested in a single laboratory. Sometimes these were referred to as the homebrew tests. So with regard to those, the FDA decided that it would it had authority, but it was going to use enforcement discretion, which basically meant it didn't regulate them as medical devices. Now, in 1976, the world looked very different from what it looks like today. So what I had in mind uh, in that article in particular is uh, in this brave new world, it's quite distinct for technological reasons, for business model reasons. There are now, there has been a proliferation of diagnostic tests coming under this rubric of laboratory developed tests. And then this separate sort of radical new wave of direct-to-consumer 
tests. And the worry that I have and many other scholars and the FDA has is that a variety of those tests come in a kind of regulatory void. Namely, the FDA has been playing a little bit of catch up in terms of asserting its regulatory authority. Now, to get to your specific question of the brave new world, there are pros and cons. So on the one hand, there have been, and I think uh, the COVID pandemic showed everyone in the world, maybe even those who aren't specialists attuned to LDTs, the value of having innovative diagnostic tests available, home kit tests available for people to access these kinds of things, et cetera. Um, the risks, as I detailed in that paper and then some subsequent papers, is without sufficient regulatory oversight, we need to be worried about the accuracy, the reliability of such claims, I mean, of such tests. And there's a whole host of reasons that I'm worried about what individuals will do um, in terms of acting on such diagnostic tests. So I'm worried about the idea that we would move things like genetic testing from a kind of medicalized model where you not only get the testing about risks of developing certain types of cancers, but you typically get not only doctor oversight, but genetic counselors, et cetera, moving from that medicalized model to a kind of commercialized model. I wanted to, to add, too, that one of the areas um, where we have seen this play out, and, and I've noticed this particularly as a mom of two, I've been following the story about prenatal genetic testing. And the New York Times wrote a couple of articles um, in the last couple of years about um, about the high false positive rates for some rare genetic diseases, um, as well as some um, really sort of ambitious marketing claims that the makers of these tests have put out on their products. And they've resulted in some um, pretty heartbreaking scenarios in which people have terminated pregnancies based on the information that they got from these tests that turned out not to be true. And so I think that's what you're talking about. On the one hand, we it's amazing to have all this information at our fingertips. But on the other hand, when when consumers are not, they don't have real accurate information about the the true ability or the true scope of these tests. Um, and they aren't perhaps making these decisions in, in, in concert with the medical professionals, then um, we can see some pretty poor outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great case example. There's some other public kind of notorious, the Theranos lab and what it was purporting um, to do with respect to blood testing was another very, I think, public kind of wake-up call. It's very difficult to quantify the kinds of risks. We can have anecdotal evidence, and in fact, um, there's lots of clinical reporting of um, these types of situations where individuals either take some kind of prophylactic um, measure that wasn't necessary. Um, there's a lot of psychological anxiety and harm when individuals are given false positives. There also are economic costs that are imposed on specialist doctors who increasingly are seeing patients coming to them with printouts of, you know, health reports or raw genomic uh, data, et cetera. So um, I think it's extremely 
important to recognize that there are benefits to um, a lot of these developments. There are certainly benefits to empowering patients to be aware of the existence of various um, kinds of conditions and the like, but there are corresponding risks and harms. I know that over the past, say, 10 years or so, there have been some attempts made to kind of move the ball down the field in terms of regulation of these tests um, and and maybe clear up kind of the ambiguity around the FDA's role here. Could you, is it possible to, t- to summarize a decade of uh, <laughs> regulatory activity? Um, but more seriously, is it, could you give us sort of a, a high-level summary of of how the FDA has been responding to this sort of increasing pressure to regulate LDTs more clearly and maybe more definitively? I would say there's been a long-running saga um, that only more recently has come into the public view. Really, it goes back to in you know 2010, the FDA um, hosted like a public workshop um, after which four years later, um, it uh, it proposed in 2014 some draft guidance on how they would begin to expand. As I said, they've always asserted they had regulatory authority. They were just exercising enforcement discretion to kind of let those homebrew exceptions proceed on their own path. So they started articulating reasons why they needed to develop a new regulatory oversight uh, pathway for these kinds of tests. And that kind of culminated in this um, guidance document. And then a discussion paper came out in 2017. At that point, in broad brushstrokes, basically the FDA also was working in collaboration with um, Congress. And they kind of handed things off to Congress on the theory that Congress could go forward and specify both the FDA's regulatory authority, but um, put everything in under the same umbrella. So this brings us to what's called the VALID Act. The important thing about the VALID Act, the proposed VALID Act, is that it would create this new category with another acronym that's called IVCTs. But the basic idea is this is in vitro vitro clinical tests. And under that rubric of clinical tests, it would put both the IVDs, the in vitro diagnostics that the FDA has always regulated as medical devices since 1976, and LDTs that hitherto were coming in under the homebrew exception. And the idea was is they would have one risk-based framework. So they would categorize these tests by low risk, middle risk, high risk. The high risk ones they would put forward under a kind of pre-market scrutiny, similar to what they do with traditional medical devices. Now fast forward to today, and there's been kind of an interesting development this summer. This VALID Act has gotten nowhere. The FDA has set forth that it's going to enact um, a proposed rulemaking. So the idea, again, here is, well, the FDA was behind the VALID Act, was happy to kind of partner with Congress, but it's not happy uh, if Congress isn't going to move to just sit back and do nothing. So the FDA is proposing in this proposed rulemaking that it will make explicit that it can regulate LDTs as medical devices. Again, it's always asserted it had that authority. Um, There's some uncertainty about what the eventual rulemaking would look like. The Administrative Procedure Act has a whole system. It's called notice and comment rulemaking. So the first step, well, the very first step is this proposed rule has been sent 
to OIRA. This is another acronym, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which is within the Office of Management and Budget. It's been sent there actually as of July 26th, 2023. So everyone's now awaiting, you know, will this proposed rulemaking uh, come out from OIRA? And then the next step would be this notice and comment period where stakeholders, members of the public, lots of individuals will be able to comment on their proposed regulatory framework. All right, Catherine, let's close out our discussion by um, just talking for a minute about what you see as an optimal path forward. You make this case for federal regulation to do two things, both protect consumers and um, support innovation. And we actually had a Forefront article um, published by Eli Adashi and co-authors that that made the same point. So it seems like this is maybe something in the zeitgeist. So can you just briefly um, summarize the optimal path forward in your mind? Sure. I think it's incredibly important. Typically, we think about regulation as stymieing innovation. So often we pit the idea that the FDA has patient safety and health in mind, but when they regulate things like LDTs, the trade-off is going to be we're going to stymie innovation of those kinds, development of those kinds of tests, et cetera. And there have been valid concerns raised about our need for novel diagnostic test development, et cetera. Um, what I think is key to realize is there is often an underappreciated innovation forcing effect of regulation, including by the FDA, particularly with regard to information production. So in this particular context, the key will be if LDTs are more squarely under the FDA's purview, they will be collecting and assessing information. Um, At the moment, there's no nationwide public tracking system for LDTs. Um, They will get raw data to be able to assess analytical and clinical validity and all of that information production. Medical devices, after all, are information products. They are, you know, um, and in order to be able to have breakthrough technologies in the public interest, I think we are best served uh, by having uh, the FDA at the helm. This has been such a pleasure, Catherine. I have a lot more questions, but we'll have to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And it's really been a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure too. Thank you very much. Listeners, you'll find links pertinent to today's discussion in the show notes. And thanks for listening to another episode of Health Affairs this week. If you liked this episode, please tell a friend, leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week.